slave in the magic mirror, come from the farther space. Through wind and darkness, I summon thee. Speak. Let me see thy face. What wouldst thou know, my queen? Magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Does this little sound clip bring back memories for you? Or does something sound a little different or unfamiliar? Could we be witnessing right in front of our very eyes and ears what my guest Cynthia Sue Larson calls an alternate history? You know, there are many examples, both subtle and sensational, that we live in a quantum universe, not just in the world of the tiny or micro, but on a massive scale. And it affects each and every one of us, whether we are fully conscious of it or not. In this episode of Higher Journeys Radio, we'll explore how quantum reality has made its way into our everyday lives and how the old classical way of looking at life may be on its way to becoming completely obsolete. My guest today is no stranger to our show, Higher Journeys Radio. She's lent her voice of knowledge and passion to our airwaves for several years now. And speaking of airwaves, you're going to hear about her brand new podcast, which has recently launched on the Dream Vision 7 network. I'm talking about a woman who is known as the quantum optimist. And that's my longtime friend and colleague, Cynthia Sue Larson. Cynthia, so excited to have you back. How are you? Oh, wonderful. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. And I just always love talking with you. Well, as you know, and we do a lot of that, don't we now? We were, we were, I think it was just last (laughs) week, we were uh, video chatting for a couple of hours. So it's always a pleasure. And by the way, audience, Cynthia, who I affectionately call Cindy, if you don't mind my saying, we've known each other for about 14, 15 years now. So hard to believe. Yeah. Listen, you know, uh, I want to say for the record, we are recording this interview on November 19th of 2015. It will be airing uh, on Thanksgiving Eve. And uh, as we were saying off the air, Cynthia, uh, who knows what might transpire? Hopefully nothing but wonderful things between now and then. But there have been some things that have not been so wonderful in the news lately. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the Paris attacks. We're not going to we're not going to harp on that. Um, but as it relates to the discussion we're going to be having today, and that's the quantum connection and how it's affecting us all. You had some very interesting things uh, to say uh, relative to the Paris attacks, looking at it through a quantum lens. So we're going to get to that. Um, in a little bit before we wind our show down. This is about an hour-long show. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Well, you know, again, I thought it was uh, definitely time that you paid us a little visit to share some very important insights uh, about what's going on today in the quantum world and how these leaps of reality are affecting all of us, whether we're consciously aware of it or not. And as I said, we have a lot of ground to cover. And uh, just speaking with you last week, discussing all of the strange and yet exciting phenomena that are happening on this planet around us and to us, we hit on a few key areas that I'd like for us to explore today. Uh, But let's start with this, Cynthia. If you could sum up with uh, what quantum reality is and how it's gone from a uh, micro-level observation to what I would now call a macro experience, and I know that's a big question, but I'd love for you to give us an overview. 
Right. Well, more, this, we've always had a quantum multiverse going on, is my premise, and what I'm basically proposing in my book, Quantum Jumps, An Extraordinary Science of Happiness and Prosperity. So it may look to us when we look at our science that we've only known about quantum physics for the last 100 years. But when we look to nature, we notice evidence that for millennia, in fact, since the time that life began, quantum processes have been happening and operating, not just on the microscopic level, but also on more of our daily level, our human scale. So it's not something we can sweep under the rug and say that these very strange behaviors of quantum physics belong um, in a place that we can ignore because they're safely small enough that unless we need nuclear reactor power or unless we need to blow something up, we can ignore it and just know that the, the math is enough and we don't need to know what's going on. All that is changing now that we're looking at the advent of quantum computing when we need to come up with the logic behind quantum physics, the paradigm, what it, whatever the heck is it that makes these amazing behaviors occur, and so that we can get these processes to work within a computer, such as the ones that NASA and Google are operating, purchased by D-Wave in Canada, the D-Wave computers, and NASA and Google are just getting the, the newest model as if it's an iPhone. They, they've signed some sort of an agreement, and they always get the newest one right off the assembly line. Mm-hmm. I've always been interested <clears throat> in that. You have been uh, speaking to me about the, the quantum computing process, and still, admittedly, I am uh, don't really quite understand how it works and why uh, Google uh, and, and uh, corporations like them are trying to jump on the bandwagon for this so quickly. What does this mean for them? What it means for them is revenue. It means um, being able to hold on to their um, pr- primacy, both politically for NASA as one of our the premier space agencies in the world. So that represents the United States of America. And then Google, as a corporation, of course, wants to maintain their primacy as doing the search optimization routines. And they've just turned that over um, to artificial intelligence just the last month. So things are moving faster than most people probably realize. I'm and, sure, yeah. You know, people, average people um, do not know what's going on here. And I'm just pointing out that uh, we do often think that we don't need to think so much about science. But things like logic, we assume that the only thing to logic is deductive classical logic, meaning uh, logic gates like and, not, and or are the only thing that, that involves logic. What's happening right now is nothing short of a complete revolution as quantum logic is coming to be the most important kind of logic. And like I keep saying, quantum logic is everywhere. It's not something that's only at one level of reality. It's actually everywhere. You can think of it as being fractal. And with logic gates in quantum um, logic and quantum computing, you have things such as logic gates that go backward and forward through time, for example. So you can actually run all of the possible solutions and pick the best one instantly every time. Mm-hmm. This is the advantage of quantum computing. That's pretty obvious. When you look at that, then you realize, holy smokes, you know, this is big. And that's what nature is doing. So nature is already there. All we're doing is playing catch up as we start learning what's going on and how can we work with this mm-hmm. well again i'm trying to wrap my <laughs> wrap my own mind around what's happening from a from a quantum perspective on this this clearly macro level as we talk about artificial intelligence technology moving <laughs> taking a quantum leap but i really want to focus on um how 
the quantum reality. First, how it became more, would I use the word ubiquitous, or how it was started to be recognized as a macro process versus a micro or subatomic process. Where, where, where did that um, where did that leap happen? When did that happen? Okay, well, I'd say you could put a date on it, and that would be 1986, when the New York Times proudly announced on one of their news stories that physicists finally get to see quantum jump with own eyes. That was the first time in history scientists could see something that they'd only theoretically envisioned in their minds for decades. They thought it was outside the realm of human sensory experience. They'd been working under the assumption that quantum jumps, as I say, were would happen, but we could never actually witness such a thing. We tend to believe our senses, which is another kind of a mistake, actually. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we we have that bias. And so uh, this thing that I'm uh, talking about in 1986 was the observation, um, as one of the researchers said, uh, that you have to really hold yourself steady and you have to look for minutes and minutes and minutes and then suddenly you'll see a trapped ion blinking on and off. And each blink is a quantum jump. And so that that was the first time a scientist realized, oh my goodness, you can actually see this. Now, prior to this, of course, there were already scientists working on developing quantum computing systems that would take advantage of things like quantum entanglement, quantum coherence, quantum teleportation, and the superposition of states, you know, these very basic properties of quantum physics in order to get these quantum computers to work properly. Mm Mm-hmm. Something just occurred to me. In 1986, that date rings a bell. Are we talking about uh, the aspect, the, the, the scientist uh, whose last name was Aspect, Align Aspect? Oh, that's Align. another wonderful experiment. Aspect was working more on the double slit experiments. Right. And I'm referring to research by Dr. Warren Nagourney of University of Washington. And there was another contributor to the theory named um, Rabi, R-A-B-I, from Columbia. Mm-hmm. So, um, and basically, I love, there's a quote that I include in my book, Quantum Jumps, from Rabbi, that says, the atom is in one state and moves to another, and you can't picture what it is in between. So you call this a quantum jump. In quantum mechanics, you don't ask what's the intermediate state, because there ain't no intermediate state. (laughs) It passes from one to the other in God's mysterious way. I love that quote. Because it kind of gives you the feeling, these are physicists, you'd think they'd know what's going on, and they're, they're just admitting, we don't know what's going on. <laughs> Which <laughs> is, know, not, there's nothing wrong with that, of course. Yeah, <laughs> they no have problem. a problem with that, but we don't. <laughs> right, because, well, the thing about science is it's, it's supposed to be predicting things, and hopefully that's where all the good science goes, uh, to help improve the quality of our lives overall, and help mm-hmm. us be able to understand the natural world better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because that's where I really want to focus our attention, Cynthia, and that's how do we improve the quality of our lives through the understanding of the quantum uh, process, if you will. So let's get into that a little bit. I wanted, I had a chance to thumb through your book again because, of course, we've, we've discussed your beautiful book, Quantum Jumps in the Past, as well as Reality Shifts, which I'd also like to get to. But one of the things that you mentioned in your book is about uh, the lack of having any particular belief system may be key in making these instantaneous jumps. Can you explain what you mean by this? Yes, this is a basic principle, I believe, of quantum logic itself, that uh, we we gain, okay, I, let me explain. When, when you make a quantum jump, you really are going purely from one state to another, like the quote I just read from. Right. So it's like shifting gears, and the, the in-between state isn't even an in-between state. 
So it's kind of, you need to let go completely of everything you thought to be true. Letting go of facts as you thought you knew them in order to experience, for example, a spontaneous remission from disease, or as some of the amazing uh, firsthand experiences tell you in quantum jumps, some people literally teleport between um, an oncoming vehicle to safety on the other side. Mm-hmm. We've heard those stories before. Yeah, yeah, lots of people talk about that. I love for you, we talked about this because I, I love telling stories, but I love listening to them. And you've got so many. Let's get into a couple of those, if you don't mind. What are some of the stories that you have? Now, you survey so many people, lay people, that are having these inexplicable experiences that you really feel have to do with the quantum aspect uh, can you tell? Can you share a couple with us? Maybe pepper it throughout the show because we, as we okay. move from one thing to another, instantaneously. Well, yeah. Well, I'm just in the in the realm of amazing firsthand experiences, I I share one story in Quantum Jumps that I don't talk about much, but it's it's another one of those emergency situations where um, this is a the experience of a young man who is about 21 years old working as a trucker, and he'd been driving a semi loaded with scrap iron. So this stuff is heavy, and he'd been driving. Uh, I think from Idaho to Washington. And so he was supposed to be settling the load. That's what they call it. And he was uh, standing atop the receiving trailer. And I don't know how you ease a five-ton steel beam down, yeah. but he was doing this. And there was this huge pile of these, like, um, these. it's like like toys, except these are not toys. These things are huge. And getting them into a stable position in a pile. The crane operator is helping lower the beams down one by one. And then right about the point when half the truckload of steel beams had been piled, and there was another one slowly coming down, the worst thing, or one of the worst things that could happen, happened. And the chain that was holding that beam up in the air glitched, and it came loose. Hmm. And it started a free fall. And it struck the beams on the top of the load, landing crossways. And it just missed Scott's head by a foot. This is the young man who was there. And then suddenly it was like pickup sticks. Things were flying, and the whole lot was tumbling to the ground right off the semi-trailer. Instead of one at a time, half of the load is coming down huh. over over Scott, who's in the middle of it all. That's half a truckload of these huge multi-ton beams. Each one is five tons. And so <clears throat> when he told his mother about this later, he was saying, uh, well, she was asking, what did you do? And he said, I went into autopilot, Mom. There was nothing I could do. So I hugged my arms as tight as I could, and I said, Oh, God, thank you for my life. Oh, God, thank you for my life. Over and over and over again. Wow. And so this is that state of, and obviously he made it through, and this is why it's a good story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, all these beams stopped crashing down, and then the cane operator lifted the pile off, because they couldn't see what had happened to Scott. I mean, this was all literally all around him. And the crane operator could not believe his eyes. There wasn't a single scratch on Scott anywhere. I mean, can you imagine all these five-ton beams just crashing around? But when they found him, was uh, or when the, the event was over, was he in the spot that he began, or did he teleport? Um, no, he was right there, but he had blood blisters from squeezing himself so tightly. Oh, my goodness. I know. That, that tells you. It's like giving birth or something when you can <laughs> pop, you know, right. blood vessels in your face and stuff. It was like that. It was crazy. Right. But he, this was not a teleportation incident, um, per se. However... Having said that, how do we know what happened? Um, so that we can't really see what's going on. The steel beams are falling. It's very much analogous to that 1986 article about quantum jumping where you don't really know. You see that little ion flashing, it's on, and then it's off, and what's going on in between? We call it a quantum jump because we don't know. Mm-hmm. 
But in his case, he didn't jump. I mean, I know jump is sort of used figuratively. It seems as if the the mantra that he felt uh, just driven to say, which I, I think that's just incredible. He had an intuition that that was necessary uh, to to save his life, I guess. I'm still trying to understand what what happened there is was there did that did that language trigger the intervention? Right. Or and some- was, yes, I think it did, actually. I, I know that when we get to a state of recognizing that we are consciousness, that's the place where we have this amazing if you, you can call it power, if you will, to know that there's some reality that already exists. You're already there where you are safe. So by saying thank you for my life, thank you for my life, you're kind of locking that in. You're fixating on just that. You're mm-hmm. fixating on how good it can get and going right there and totally disregarding anything else. So I, love, I love your quote, how good can it get, right? Am I saying that right? Yes, yes, that's it. I love it. How good can it get? Now, now uh, to digress just for a moment, because again, we're talking about rest, not recitation, but saying certain words that might trigger a quantum jump. How good can it get? Um how might someone use a mantra? I call it that. Uh, how might someone use that when things are just incredibly horrific for them? We know people are going through extraordinary times right now, seemingly at a at a at a peak. Right. And say something like that and mean it. Right. What, the beauty of mantras is that it's not so much that they focus our conscious mind, but they have a lasting effect on the default mode network in our autonomic nervous system they're basically helping us run that autopilot subconscious network of all of those processes that are going on that we can't really track and that we don't have full knowledge of what's going on but when you start developing uh, these mantras this is the power of that kind of meditation Mm -hmm. you you're laying down this kind of a network within yourself that you're expecting things to be in that good direction. Hopefully it's a good mantra. Hopefully it's something like, how good can it get? Mm-hmm. Thank you for my life or thank you for my health. You know, thank you, know, thank you for my many blessings. Right. Well, um, that brings up an interesting thing, a few interesting things. We're talking about whether we're <clears throat> uh, verbally or audibly reciting this or just in our mind and, and doing it consciously, by the way, because I think that has to be key. Con- consciously, uh, thank you for my life. Thank you for my life. But think about, Cynthia, the, the, the talk that goes on, whether verbally or non-verbally in our heads, that is not uh, necessarily conscious, is certainly not positive, is that as well having a quantum effect <laughs> on us. Yes, know? I believe it does. And there's so much going on that's a lot of noise. So when we reach a state where we're more in alignment between, for example, your head, your heart, and your gut, then you'll get results that you tend to like better because they're more lined up and you're not fighting with yourself. Mm. Okay, understood. Well, you know, I want to, <laughs> another area that I really, that you and I have spent a lot of time talking about, and I can't get enough of that, and that's the whole idea of time. I want to spend some time <laughs> on this and how the quantum process figures into that. You know, we're talking about individuals um, and how they can make their lives better. But clearly, and admittedly, I think a lot of people know that much of, many of the problems that are persisting in one's life have to do with belaboring the past, things that have happened in the past that haven't been so great and and reliving that over and over again and you know that there has been talk about the idea from a quantum perspective that we can actually change 
the past. I like to say change the, the energy signature of the past, however you like to look at it. And, you know, I interviewed a, a woman, lovely woman, uh, my last guest by the name of Linda McCallum. Uh, and I asked her, posed the question to her about uh, changing the past. Can we alter it metaphysically? And she agreed that we could, but her feeling was that we change it by changing our feelings or attitudes about the past. I think that's very powerful. And I know you agree with this approach. But Cynthia, how do quantum mechanics figure even more prominently into this in terms of altering the past, you think? Right. <clears throat> Remember, I mentioned in quantum logic, the time, the logic gates go forward and backward through time. And I believe that the, our limitation and experience of what is, we think is possible about changing the past is closely related to our beliefs and what we think we've seen. So one of, one of the things that I believe I do as a service to humanity is sharing firsthand reports from around the world of these kinds of reality shifts. And I've been doing that on my website, Reality Shifters, for 16 years. And, and the, the purpose is then you start recognizing if someone else can have a spontaneous remission as if their arm was never broken, uh, then doesn't that seem a lot like the past was absolutely changed in some way? Mm-hmm. And so this is that interesting quantum phenomena, this, this realm of superposition of states where in one reality you've got the broken arm, in another you don't. And so this experience of time, we tend to think the moving finger writes and having writ moves on and, you know, and so forth. That's that famous poem, which um, is no longer really the proper way to look at what's going on here. So a quantum system, as I keep bringing up, it's, it's kind of going to the, the answer on the last page of the mystery novel. It's mm. starting with the answer of the problem, and then it works back. And we can access this. Our brains are built to process everything using quantum cognition, which is a brand new field of study. And there's so many exciting papers coming out showing our memory is more quantum than classical, uh, that we are logical beings, even though people used to think humans are illogical, because if you change the order of questions on a survey, people give different answers. Now we find out quantum systems do the same thing. It does matter what order the questions come in. And so I'm coming back to time again. You know, the whole idea about the way we relate to time and the attitude that we have about what happened in the past, you can think of it as, in a way, locking it in. So by fixating on something, whether we fixate in a good way for gratitude, looking back and feeling like, wow, I'm just going to focus on how I got so much stronger thanks to my experiences. I'm going to be grateful for my family and all their weird quirks. And all the strange things that have happened. Yeah. <laughs> and even the arguments we've had where people don't even agree about what happened. Which, by the way, is more, f- to me, it's further evidence that these quantum superposition of states and alternate histories are absolutely occurring. When, when your siblings say, that's not what happened, then you can get to the place of realizing, okay, for them, they had a different experience. Yeah. That is wonderful. I mean, think about the liberation we can get. Right, right. You, you mentioned alternate histories. We've got to talk about, you know, I went to your website, and, and I do often, actually, and uh, one of the things you make mention of is the alternate history or alternate reality, I guess you could say alternate history of Thanksgiving. This show will uh, broadcast, of course, on the eve of Thanksgiving. Let's talk about that. If, you, if we can just jump, quantum jump, I'm going to use those, that word a lot, to, to that subject. Right. Talk about the, the, the Thanksgiving story. I think you'll know what I'm talking about, right? Right. Okay. Well, this is a good one because I like to pose it in the form of a quiz for people because um, if they don't, if you've never heard this topic, 
I, I, lately, a lot of these memes have been showing up. So if I were to ask you what day or what week, rather, um, does American Thanksgiving occur? This is something Americans hopefully are familiar with. And then instantly you kind of know which week of the month it is. And so if you just think to yourself, okay, it was the third Thursday of November. That's pretty much exactly what I remember. And some people may say, no, 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 it's always been the fourth, and that's okay. So this is just one of many questions. I've lately been asking a series, a pop quiz, including like six questions. This would be one of the six. And so you might have the standard answer on this question. That's fine. But for people who say, wow, I do remember it was the third Thursday. When did that change? And I would say it's changed. I know when it's changed. This happened sometime between 2002 and here we are. I, I, th- I think it changed perhaps in 2012 or 2013. And when I say it changed, what I'm talking about is ever since 2012 or 2013, it's always been the fourth Thursday in November. But some of us remember, like I do, because I started uh, the International Aura Awareness Day back in 2002. I specifically avoided Thanksgiving weekend. So I put that that holiday with someone else that was starting the holiday with me, we put it on the the the, the fourth Thursday, um, excuse me, the fourth Saturday of November on purpose so we could specifically avoid a collision with a huge American holiday when people are typically with their families and they don't have time to deal with something like the International Aura Awareness Day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, so, and I noticed a few years ago, like how come this... Um, how, why is it just seems strange to me <laughs> like like these alternate histories and reality shifts and quantum jumps often do i thought what the heck is going on why is the holiday hitting thanksgiving weekend i went to a lot of trouble to avoid that and then i, I looked and i found out suddenly now thanksgiving thursday has for decades been like supposedly all for my life thanksgiving thursday has been the fourth thursday of november even though most people would say it's the there or was or is <laughs> the third Thursday. Well, it wouldn't be. You know, usually what happens when we do a survey, like if people were, if I did the pop quiz with the six questions, you might hit some of them and maybe not all of them. Often you'll hear the word timeline, and I don't use that word because mm. I don't think of timelines. Uh, there's, a, it gives a false impression to me of what's going on. It's kind of a good start. You get the idea that there are alternate histories. But it's not so much that there's one particular timeline or that the Large Hadron Collider did something weird. It's more that this is quantum reality, and this is the way things really are. The past and so-called facts are always in flux, and they change. I'm pausing because it's, you know, even for me, and I agree with you, I've always felt some sort of resonance with the idea of simultaneous time, and yet, paradoxically, it's still difficult for me, like so many others, to not think of time as sequential. Very interesting. Yeah, you know, maybe it's time to do the pop quiz. We we're going to do this toward the end, but why not? You want to do the pop quiz? Because we already were one of six already. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I just a- want to let the audience know. Um, and obviously, you, you can listen to this as many times as you want. So you don't have to have a pen and paper handy right now. But if you'd like to, please do. Uh, take Listen to Cynthia's question. She's got six questions, one of which and maybe she'll reiterate. Um, and see how you answer these and kind of think about the question she's going to ask. Now, is there any follow-up that um, that people can do with you to get some clarification on uh, the answers to the quiz <laughs> after the fact? 
Oh, well, it, I usually introduce the quiz in a workshop or a talk that I give just as a way of bringing people to awareness that there is something going on. Okay. Otherwise, this whole thing can sound kind of crazy. If they don't have a resonance with the Thanksgiving Thursday bit, then they might think, oh, this doesn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds a bit crazy. That's out there. Yes, my family, my siblings remember things differently from decades ago, but that's because they're confused. You know. <laughs> They're just clearly wrong. They're wrong. I'm right. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm quantum jumping and you're not. I'm right, right. Yeah, it's like obviously it's very clear what's going on here. They, right. they made a mistake. Okay. Go That's for it. it, Cynthia. Go for it, Cindy. Tell us what those, give us those. Yeah, well, let's start with the first one. And these are in no particular order, but just to kind of go through a few to give you a taste of it. Mm-hmm. So there's a family of bears and it's it's because this is radio, I can say the name. And then your job is think of how to spell it. <laughs> yeah, these are, these Do are I have to bears. answer these questions? <laughs> Don't put me on the spot. I'm not going to answer. I'm just going to let you tell the question. Yeah. Okay. So there is a family of bears in children's books called the Bernstein Bears. And so your job then is to think in terms of how do you spell Bernstein? So just go ahead and write that down or think of it in your head. If you're with other people, don't say it out loud because then it kind of wrecks the whole thing. Okay. Okay. Question one. Okay, good. And then the next one is... Um, this is has to do with the Disney movie with Snow White and the the Queen, and when the Queen is looking in her mirror, she she says something. She says something something on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Okay, a little pause there. Yep, for everyone to ponder Just, that. I think I know I'd the go answer. With, go with what comes to mind first. I know. <laughs> I want you to tell us the answers now, but <laughs> anyway. Go ahead, number three. The next one is, this is Mr. Rogers, uh, the song that starts the the TV show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and he sings. Um, You know, he's putting, I guess he's taking off his sweater and sitting down and so forth, singing, it's a beautiful day and something, something. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, as soon as we get off the air, we're going to have a little chat about this. Go ahead. Question number, where are we? Number three. Oh, no, that was three. That was the third one. Yeah. Okay. And then another one would be in the movie Star Wars, where this is a scene with Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, and it's kind of a scary scene. Um, it's the big reveal where uh, basically Darth Vader is acknowledging that there's a, a relationship between these two, a family relationship. So it's blank, blank, your father. Blank, blank, your father. Okay. That was number four. Right. All right. Number five. Number five, this has to do with Nelson Mandela. Mm -hmm. And basically, just to the best of your knowledge, think of or write down when you recall that you first heard news that he had passed away. Okay. And then we did number six, which is Thanksgiving Thursday. What do you remember as you grew up and all through the years in your life? Hopefully it hasn't changed in your lifetime, but maybe it did. How did you first hear? What what day, what week does thanks, American Thanksgiving fall? Okay. Those are great questions. And they're, I thought you were going to, I thought most of them were going to be uh, centered around fables and <laughs> fairy tales. <laughs> but we've gone from Snow White to Mandela to Star Wars to Thanksgiving. So you've got it covered. Those are great. Those are great questions. 
I would love to hear what people have to say. Cynthia, are you keeping sort of a log? Because you, you said that you've asked the, you've given this pop quiz to uh, in workshops, et cetera. Are you sort of compiling uh, yeah. what people's answers it, are? And, yeah, it's, it pretty much matches the same kind of uh, statistics that I've shown from the two surveys I've conducted that I published in my book Quantum Jumps. And so I've been tracking these um, just, and it's the same. It's, I, interestingly, it's very similar statistics to the placebo effect and what's going on there. So typically, it's, it's something like 30%. So an average person might, um, with these six questions, a couple of them might be something different than what the official current story has always been. And this is the way it works. When you, when one of these things come up, comes up and it's very different than the way you remember it, and, and I cover the emotional, psychological reactions to this too in my book, Quantum Jumps, describing how people... It kind of goes through phases of disbelief, like, what? How can that be? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't get it. You know, you have really strong emotional reactions when you find these things out. Mm-hmm. But but when you find out that, for example, Berenstein Bears is spelled officially. Oh, are you supposed to tell? I, I can. I, do you want me to tell or not? It doesn't really <laughs> it's up matter. up to you. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> well, people can look this up if they want, but some people, they don't want to look it up. It's the day before Thanksgiving, so let's just tell them, and then they can look it up and confirm later. Okay. And things change anyway. I mean, I've experienced movies change, books change. These are ways you can tell you're in an alternate history, that you're experiencing superposition of states. Facts do not stay the same. So I'll, I can go through it. So the Bernstein Bears, the current spelling as of 2015 and the time of this recording is S-T-A-I-N, Bears. A lot of people that remember it the way I do, E-I-N, they will say, well, if it was spelled stain, I would have always been thinking that they were eating too many berries and staining their paws, you know, these little bears. And instead, I thought they were Jewish, you know. And this is very much what I thought. And so you would not be thinking these are Jewish bears or being a little like, what the heck? Or, you know, instead you'd be thinking they're staining their paws because these are the kind of books you read when you're learning how to read. Okay, that's the first one. Second one is Snow White and the Queen. Something, something on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Oh, so that means I can I can say what I think the answer is? Go for it. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> Mirror, mirror on the wall. I remember that all? too. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and guess what? Guess what? The official story and the way it's supposedly always been is magic mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And I know that just sounds wrong, but there we are. Okay. I'd like to stop there because we're we're kind of juxtaposing sort of lighthearted, you know, st- these stories with a very serious thing. How are you finding out? Where did where where are you finding out that this was not? It was never mirror, mirror on the wall. Is that what you're saying? I'm That's what I'm saying. You can Anybody can do a Google search right during the show, after the show, whatever, and talk about it at Thanksgiving with your family. It's fun. Uh, these are good questions to bring up at the dinner table. It's a good way to bring up this whole subject of quantum jumps, of superposition of states, alternate realities. Yes. And the power of thinking. This is, to me, evidence that manifestation works. Uh, we're seeing science behind it. So... Exactly. Very perplexing. Okay, go go. For the so you can look one. on YouTube. You'll see all the movie clips show it that way. I'm Put going to. Film. I can't wait to watch the film with the little kids. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Okay. Okay. Number three. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. That's what I remember. The official story now, and the way the song appears, is this neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. <laughs> I know, it sounds a bit funky, a bit weird. Yeah, okay. It's not the way that I sang along to it, but there you go. Okay, 
Number four, Star Wars. A lot of people remember um, in this big scene where Darth Vader is speaking with Luke, something, something, your father. I don't remember that one. I'm not a big Star Wars fan, so why don't you reveal the big reveal? Well, now it's Luke. Uh, excuse me. It's no, I am your father. I'm your father. And it, um, what a lot of people who are Star Wars geeks will remember is um, Luke, I'm your father. I really remember the Luke because it really caught my ear. Mm-hmm. And I w- I'm the kind of person that did watch those Star Wars movies in the theater time after time after time. <laughs> so, mm. Yeah. I just stayed in the theater when the first one came out. I didn't leave. I watched it, I think, three times in a row till the buses stopped running. I was a teenager and didn't have a car. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, I remember this. And it's so to me, it's very much obvious that something has changed. Some people may or may not remember. Most people, they might, like, if someone's listening and they say, well, some of these are very strange, but some of these don't sound that weird. That's okay. Okay. Like, like I said, not everybody's affected. Some people might notice all of them are quite odd. Some people might just notice one or two. Well, that brings up a good question, Cynthia. If, you know, we agree on the two, the Cinderella, or Snow White, rather, right, Snow White, and, um, uh, and uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, would you say that those of us that remember, like you remember, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood and mirror, mirror on the wall, what's quantum jumping? Is it us or the event? Good question. And this brings up, see, we tend to assume we know who us is. Uh-huh. And this is where I go with my books. I go straight there for the jugular. Go for <laughs> I it. I do not know who us is. Yeah. You know, who am I? This is the big question. The, the one thing, the only thing you can really be sure of is your own awareness. That you know for sure. You know that you have ideas, of feelings, thoughts that you can focus, that you, you have all that going on inside. Mm-hmm. But there's no way to measure that. And science can still not predict that you are conscious or know how to um, determine that you would be or have any way to measure it, really. Right. So, so I would say that what's jumping is this very difficult um, to pin down consciousness, that that's what's jumping. That is who we are. This is our true identity. Right. And we exist within a multiple range of possibles, sure. possible realities. Yeah, I think and this right. is what all the all the great spiritual traditions tell us that, and and this gives us the tremendous power, should we choose to accept it, to step into our full power, our full ability, our full uh, promise as humans to to be in a place of compassion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to ask these questions about how good can it get for all concerned, to to really be in that place of making things better, to to leave this world a better place than it was when you got here. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, what you're saying is we choose to participate in a quantum field. Right. We choose the level of participation. So, so a lot of, level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people are very unconscious. And so, when light workers talk about waking up, what they mean is that you're uh, kind of adjusting the tip of the iceberg so that the focus of your attention is becoming more clear and you can... And you're choosing it. You're making these choices. Like, that is what I'm thinking about. This is what I'm fixating on. Mm-hmm. I'm choosing gratitude. I'm choosing to focus on how good can it get, no matter how messed up things really seem to be right now. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into, again, something that's a little bit messed up. But you know what? I think we've got two more, right? We've, we've got yeah. to talk about the Mandela effect. This, to me, um, and I want to preface this a little bit, this, to me, is completely uh, 
not inexplicable. I don't want to say that because I, I think I know what you're talking about here, but we're talking about the, the dead again. I think you've used that term or, or uh, gone again phenomenon, which has happened uh, on a few occasions, a couple of which I can attest to. Talk about the Mandela, uh, or why don't you give the answer to the Mandela right. um, okay. and talk about that a little bit. Mandela effect. So for when I ask when was the first date that you remember Nelson Mandela passing away, if you're like me, it might have been um, perhaps in the 1980s. Not really clear on exactly when, because I don't know when. I mean, who knew there'd be a pop quiz on this later? Mm-hmm. But definitely during the time when he was still incarcerated, he was still in jail. And there, some people may also remember that there was this kind of a legal scuffle with his widow and the representatives of the official state and of the nation, and it was just a mess. And now, fortunately, a lot of us have also experienced that Nelson Mandela passed away uh, much more recently, you know, just a couple of years ago. So this is uh, this is the so-called alive again effect or phenomenon that I've been tracking. Alive again. I said gone again. Alive again. Okay. Yeah. So people, we've noticed that a lot of people had been reported dead and then how come they're alive again? (laughs) So that's something that I've been observing since May 2004. And this whole subject of the Mandela effect came into prominence just a few years ago. And it's hit the big time along with the Berenstain Bears this year because a lot of people are starting to notice these alternate histories, which makes it a fun topic at Thanksgiving. So that's oh, what I'm saying. Indeed, <laughs> for sure. This I, I think this beats the the football talk. <laughs> or the heavy political talk or religion, you know, things exactly. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and yet this is pretty heavy because it's it has heavy, heavy implications. Absolutely. Well yeah. I, I I wanna stay on this one a little bit longer, uh, Cynthia, because it, it I don't know if I want to say I want to play devil's advocate, but just for the sake of argument, let me do this, and I want to see how you might how you might deal with this. Especially with the advent of technology, it seems so easy these days to erase information or put out new information or conflicting information. Really, technology can act as a catalyst in altering history. Would you not agree with that? Well, and I'm not saying, and I'm not, I'm not saying that well, that's what's going what on. But like, like history is written by the winners, kind of a thing. Sure, you know, people, and that's technology, even of the first books that were published and first stone tablets and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the Egyptians would say that we won, and it was spectacular, and maybe, but you know, they were the ones writing it down, so they get to tell their story. That's right. So from that standpoint, sure, technology does play that role. But I think consciousness is the the winner overall. And this is what I really want people to know, that you don't need to be afraid of artificial intelligence, don't need to be concerned about technology taking over, because you've got the trump card. You've got the awareness that you are consciousness itself. So it gives you, that is your connection to pure spirit. Mm -hmm. And that means that's the, you've got the key to the fundamental level of reality. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, no one can pull something over on you. Okay. All right. Answered well. So, and then going back to Mandela, what you're alluding to is that Mandela did actually pass away in the 80s and was brought back to life? Well, it can sound that way. But what I'm actually saying is I have a memory that 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 he died and that that was just a normal death and there's nothing it wasn't a zombie thing um there was not he wasn't zapped with electricity and 
right. <laughs> because along with that death, remember, there was that whole legal battle that no longer exists. The whole scuffle with his widow over, you know, hey, this is my estate. And they're like, no, we have glommed onto everything. That's not fair. You know, my husband was a political great leader. No, you know, that whole thing that went on no longer happened at all. And so it's not so much that they brought a dead person back to life, but it, it's as if it's the same thing as if you have a broken bone that's suddenly not broken, or you had cancer and tons of brain tumors, and now they've all cleared up. People do experience spontaneous remissions. Of course. Right. So it's, I'm just saying the same thing is happening sometimes with a whole person's life. Mm-hmm. I understand. I think I understand. And again, that was sort of a, a not a naive question that I asked, but um, and I wasn't thinking of it in that way. But I think what we're talking about, Cynthia, is an intersection of reality, of uh, assuming there are multiple realities that are simultaneously existing. One may be existing in sort of a wave and another in a particle to use subatomic or, you know, to use quantum terms. And that at any given time, they can reverse where Mandela dying in 1980, something was at one point, the particle then became the wave and vice versa. Does that make any sense at all? What I'm saying, meaning, there's an intersection of realities. If it's what we call a particle, it's been brought to three-dimensional tangibility, reality. The wave is still just as equal, but has not been brought to third-dimensional reality. Am I confusing you as much as I'm confusing myself? (laughs) (laughs) I think I I get the main gist of it, and I think where you're going with this is you just want to point out, like, there's something going on with this quantum effect that's um, able to play with things, and I'd say that's true. There's a quantum, remember, let's come back to the quantum logic and the idea that there's much more than deductive logic. There's two other kinds. There's inductive and abductive. So we have a way of knowing things beyond what might seem to be true. And with with relationship to these questions that we're looking at, this pop quiz and, you know, all these, especially with the Alive Again phenomenon, mm. I think that's where you're going with it. Like, is it possible that he was kind of in this um, in-between state? Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's a logic to quantum physics that basically um, the quantum information theorists who are putting this quantum logic together right now will tell you for sure that there are some interesting paradoxes going on in quantum physics Absolutely. where, yeah. you know, basically things are happening that do not ma- mesh with what we think is reality, w- with what we think is logic. We're being forced now to recognize, as one paper put it, there is no return to classical reality. Now, this is going to take us probably another hundred years to for everyone to really come there and get there. Right now, yeah. we're on the cusp of it, of the quantum age with these new quantum computers based on quantum logic. And the quantum logic is showing us we've got these new logic gates that can go forward and backward through time. We don't really know quite what this means in terms of, like when steel beams are falling over a young man's head, did he turn into a wave function? And was he not really there? Did he sort right. of... Or- that's exactly what I'm saying. In a sense, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. And we don't have the answer to that. Um, nobody... Well, we have lots of theories and... Each one kind of disagrees with the others, and there's no consensus on the paradigm for quantum physics yet. And so the math works. We can build the bombs. We can build the nuclear reactors. But we don't really know what we're doing. When it comes to quantum computers, we need to figure it out. Because finally, we're giving command code and instructions for how to do quantum logic for our next artificial intelligence systems and robots and so forth. 
that means we need to figure out what it is. So we're looking to biology, which is where a lot of the clues are coming from in quantum biology. We're looking to quantum cosmology. So we've got people studying how the Big Bang and the multiverse is one and the same as the many worlds of quantum physics. And so, and so between quantum information theory, quantum biology, and quantum cosmology, that I'm I'm the one that's taking this sort of an unpopular stance right now to say what's <laughs> obvious. You know, quantum physics is affecting everything. There's like the fractal effect, so it comes in through our senses and then it ramps up and escalates, and it has the power to affect things. And through quantum information theory, we're noticing that sometimes not only could the the past change and we get sort of a blurred out effect. Like you can't really know everything about a system. We tend to think that God can know all the details of everything all at the same time. And what we're learning right now with quantum logic is probably not. There's always going to be sort of this gray zone. Hmm. And that would probably be because God wants it that way. We wouldn't want a reality where everything is preordained and predestined and everything is set in stone. Absolutely. Which really just underscores how fluid and again, malleable reality is and I think always has been and you know our one of our favorite folks who interestingly Michael Talbot something just came to me the holographic universe folks know that I love talking about that (laughs) excuse me and he makes reference to that numerous references to that in his his uh, seminal work the holographic universe in in terms of the plasticity of reality and that 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 veritable gray area that is uh at at some point, a wave, and then, you know, a particle, etc. It's sort of a vacillating back and forth. You no, know, I, but I want to bring something just sort of, I just had a little epiphany. Michael Talbot, did we, I don't know if we ever talked about this before, but you talk about the alive again. And I obviously have no proof of this, but I'm going to tell a little story about Michael Talbot. <clears throat> I became aware of his work. Oh, I don't know, probably in the late 90s. And I believe he passed, <clears throat> excuse me, in early the early 90s, if I'm not mistaken. I know it was in the 90s, quite young. And it was the most interesting thing, Cynthia, I recall when I, I got turned on to his work somehow, immediately got the book, found myself completely immersed in it and just uh, just impressed with his, his, his knowledge base. And then when someone told me that he passed away, for some reason... I couldn't see it. I couldn't feel it. Now, I've never met this person, but for some reason, I sensed he wasn't dead. He wasn't dead. Did we Did we talk about this before? I, it may, it may well, have been I've with somebody. amazing experiences with Michael Talbot, too. So I don't, I don't think we've talked. Well, I can't remember that we've talked about it, but I, I totally agree with you about his book. It, it was so influential to me when I wrote my book, Reality Shifts. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like the... The god, godparent, the godmother, or godfather. <laughs> right, right. Like, oh, it's so awesome. Yeah. And I had an experience um, going to a bookstore that I just felt compelled to go in, compelled to go downstairs, compelled to put my hand on a book. I pulled it out, and it was a first edition autographed copy of Holographic Universe signed by Michael Talbot. Wow. Like, oh, and I felt like he was there, even though at that point he was dead. And my friend Fred Allen Wolf told me about times they'd spent together and how. Fred didn't say he was concerned about Michael Talbot's interest in the dark side of things, but he did point out that, curiously, some of the same things that Michael Talbot was exploring in his novels, um, they kind of, well, I, you know, it sort of had to, I, don't, I haven't read the novels, but it had something to do with blood, and then apparently Michael Talbot had a blood 
cancer condition. Right, leukemia, I believe. Yes. Yeah, I believe, yeah. And so Fred just mentioned that. He didn't say, isn't that weird? But but I looked at him like, that is weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, really? That's very weird. Yeah. But, but again, going, I, I, I'm making reference specifically to like he was alive. This feeling, right. There, there was nothing to, there was no logic or rationale that would bring me to that feeling. I, I do consider myself rather, uh, I'm a feeling person. I, I'm, you know, uh, things that I, I can't quantify in the way that we normally do, but it was a very powerful, strong feeling. I've had that with several other people too, and I don't push for it. It just appears. It just happens. And I was, I was adamant about it. I don't believe this man is dead. And it wasn't that I, oh my God, I just love him so much. It wasn't about that. It was just a feeling. So I'm wondering if there, in any ten, even tangential way, we might take that same indescribable feeling and uh, put it within the context of uh, quantum consciousness. Yes. Well, absolutely. The, okay. this, the field of quantum cognition as it currently stands is kind of, having to do with memories, with choices, with decisions, the so-called prisoner's dilemma, and so forth. But what we're talking about now, we're kind of going out there a bit, a little further than where the psychologists are taking it. Yeah. But I like going there, too. <laughs> I'm right there oh, with so many interesting things to ponder. Well, you know, one thing, um, we still want to get to the, the recent events, but before we go there, one thing I wanted to ask you just as I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, I know. You made mention of something that triggered a, a question in me in terms of what we're looking at now and the realization that we're not necessarily living in a classical reality as has been so uh, nicely, uh, a nicely obedient reality, let's call it, uh, as we thought, and that the quantum reality is really taking precedence and, and, and many are finally conceding that that's the case. Do you feel that this is something that has always been and man is just recognizing it or is it something that is escalating in terms of it sort of impinging on our quote 3d reality based on other things going on right now i believe it's always been there and i think we can see evidence in how finely tuned this universe is if, if you look into that just do a search on fine-tuned universe uh, this is what's giving a lot of credit, credence to the fact that there's a growing popularity of the multiverse theory. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just gaining ground because how on earth, I mean, unlikely is it that we would be here, that life could even exist the way it does? It's just off the charts unlikely. And then philosophers such as Leibniz and more recently Nicholas Rescher have written books such as Axiogenesis talking about that we tend that there's this drive toward goodness that that this is actually sort of a, a sort of a force of nature, if you will, that mm-hmm. totally pre-existed man and our search for truth and science and so forth. So, but but and you're right. That, that this is something coming to our attention right now, but it was always here. Just like quantum physics and quantum computing is now suddenly it's a big thing. But if you look at nature, you can see flocks of starlings fly together like liquid hydrogen. Sheepdogs herd sheep according to rules that we're going to use for quantum programming. Mm. You know, first they get coherence in the in the flock, and then they drive it forward. So so everywhere you look in nature, there's another quantum phenomenon occurring, another quantum aspect. And the more we look, the more we, we find it. So obviously, to me, it was always here. So it's really our consciousness that's sort of catching up to something that has been ubiquitous throughout 
time or lack thereof. <laughs> yes, and it's getting, this is so interesting because we're consciousness being conscious of itself. And that's mm. what some people in spiritual paths say that that's what humans are here to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're doing what we're here to do. Absolutely. And that's, that's you're the quantum optimist. And that's, that's an optimistic perspective as we should have. Well, you know, um, on the on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have things that um, Cynthia that are causing many of us, some of us, to not be so optimistic. And and again, I'd be remiss if we didn't at least spend a little bit of time, still within the context of our discussion, to talk about these horrific attacks or uh, this event that has taken place in Paris. Um, there are a lot of angles to this still breaking story our mainstream has made sure that it remains breaking i'm not i'm not making light of that at all because we really do not know uh the significance of this both its implications for future past or present really we're just sort of watching it unfold um there have been several other events uh could be conceived as equally horrendous that have not gotten the attention that this has. So that's a, that's another dimension that maybe we'll, we'll tackle uh, at another time. But you and I had a really interesting uh, quick discussion about uh, these latest events and some of the things that are being talked about in the mainstream that, um, including from public figures like the Pope, who, and I think I can quote because it's pretty well documented that he made a statement saying uh, this is this constitutes a piecemeal third world war insinuating are are we on the brink of a a, a third world war and you had something very interesting to say i want you to if you would share with our audience what you had to say about that and the quantum xeno effect yes so the idea of the quantum xeno effect uh, let's cover that first and we'll come right back to your question um, because it sounds technical and i don't want people to be scared about it um, <clears throat> my way of looking at quantum Zeno effect is just that when, and this is a very well-established phenomenon, well-proven, and you can look it up and find papers on it, very absolutely rock-solid, for sure, thing that's going on. And what it is, is that the more you look for something in a certain place, whether it's a quantum particle or part of some entangled system, or whatever it may be, just the fact that you keep check, 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 checking, um, if it's there, it's going to stay there. So um, for that person who's observing the quantum jumps, if they're able to stare without blinking, then they might not ever see that quantum jump occur, for example. Um, It's it's very much the watched pot never boils phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So that's the idea of it. And then when you apply that to daily life, this means you want to focus on what you're grateful for. You want to lock that in and get more and more clear, like that is going to be a fact that sticks around. We're going to make that one hold. And you can pretty much do that. And so within the realm of quantum physics and an extension of it into the psychology and quantum cognition. And there's increasing evidence to show this is actually happening in our brains because a lot of people will say, well, not so fast, but there's more and more proof all the time about all these things. Okay, now we're going to move it where we don't have proof but into the the world of politics. So when we hear things that we that we may feel like, oh, goodness, I don't want that to happen. You know, we do not need a third world war on this planet and so what we can do is just recognize that um, there are piecemeal things going on, but I would recommend looking for signs of hope, for signs of progress, for a recognition that there's no need for some kind of a holy war, that we've talked about that. And just the same way that we don't want nuclear annihilation of the, of the superpowers on Earth with complete wipeout of, Earth, of life as we know it, 
Um, neither do we need or want a holy war. And so the way that you go to the place where you don't see that is you look for signs and you look for evidence of anything good that's happening at all. Mm-hmm. So it would be places where people are opening their hearts, their homes, their lives to um, you know, to other people, where they're, they're being much more supportive of one another. They're recognizing, as uh, the Dalai Lama had a wonderful quote, and it had to do with saying that war is obsolete, you know. Of course, the mind can rationalize fighting back, but the heart, the heart would never understand. Then you would be divided in yourself, the heart and the mind, and the war would be inside you. So that's a brilliant spin. What you want to do is spin doctor, just the same way the news is doing it. But um, each of us who are light workers can use this quantum Zeno effect to lock in the kind of reality that we know that we need to go to. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you steer it. So, and are there many different realities? Of course there are. So people that absolutely want to lock in that holy war, they're not getting the holy war for everyone. They're just getting it for those that really want to be there. Interesting. Well, I, I can see that. So what we're saying is, uh, you know, uh, the quantum Zeno effect can be pl- applied perhaps as an intervention, uh, I, 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 right? I, would that be a fair thing to say, an intervention tool <clears throat> uh, to, to shift reality? <laughs> yes. So all these things, when I talk in quantum jumps, I just describe three steps, basically. And the first one is, um, so it, you can use these tools, and they're easy. You know, it's basically first going to a place of letting go so that you get to a detached place. You don't want to lock on to anything at all, actually. We talked about that early in the show, mm-hmm. like getting to that place where you're sort of in a mental fog or you don't know quite what it is. You're uncertain. Perfect. That's perfect. Neutral. Neutrality. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's that neutral sort of a oneness state of consciousness that you recognize that you're one with that oneness, that you that your consciousness is so much bigger than your persona, than your ego. Sure than any of these so-called realities. And then so that's the first step. Just And you get there by meditating. I've got a meditation CD, but lots of people have good ones, and I've got meditations on YouTube. Anyway, you can do something that gets you into a happy place. That's number one, just relaxed and detached. Number two, that's where you get energized about visualizing a positive outcome. Here's the quantum Zeno effect. Pick something good. If you don't know what, just ask how good can it get. Let your imagination and your unconscious take you there. So you don't even have to know the answer. You can just say, how good can it get? Mm-hmm. You know what good is, and that's how this whole universe came into being. It's, it's off the charts, unlikely already. Let's take it higher. And then number three, take positive action in keeping with your new reality. So that means um, you're not living like a survivalist. You're not telling everyone the sky is falling. Right. <laughs> that's a tough one. These days, that's a tough one. But it's, it, it's worth trying and practicing Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Listen, we, we've just about run out of time, but I'm not going to let you hang up, my dear, without telling us some good news about where you have recently quantum jumped. And that's over to a brand new radio program called Aptly Living the Quantum Dream. So before we close out the program, tell us about your new program. Yes. And if people want to find these things, you can go to my website, realityshifters.com and just click and it'll, there'll be a link to the radio show on my bio. This is a new radio show. And Yay! It, it Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm talking with, with people, visionaries, authors, uh, people who want to share their view of how we can all live the quantum dream in terms of bringing these very ideas I'm talking about into our daily lives and making the world a better place in the process. Excellent. So, all right. Yeah. And when can people tune in? 
Well, the shows are archived. Uh, right now, there's a schedule. If you happen to live in the Boston area, then you're lucky because it's on AM 1510 WMEX. Don't know the show times, but um, the, the show often shows at 8 o'clock Eastern time in the morning and 8 o'clock in the evening on Wednesdays, sometimes also on Thursday. But you can check the schedule. Go to the Dream Vision 7 website. And it's the show is called Living the Quantum Dream. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure to have all of those things linked up. There's going to be a lot of show notes, a lot of things that people are going to want to go back and um, do a little bit of research on their own. So on that note, my dear friend, my sister, my karmic sister, Cynthia Sue Larson, thank you so, so much. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. How good can it get? For Cynthia Sue Larson, this isn't just a question, but a trigger for allowing the power of quantum reality to enter our lives. She maintains that we are not only on the cusp of a quantum age, but its powerful hallmarks are making themselves known to us right now. I encourage you to take a good look at the show notes and relevant links from this episode to dive much deeper into your own research about how quantum reality affects us all at some level. And also, be sure to visit Cynthia's website, realityshifters.com, to stay up to date on all of her activities, research, and stories about what it's like to live in a quantum age. I thank you for listening to this special Thanksgiving Eve edition of Higher Journeys Radio. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.